everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Rummy podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Geeky Rummy Isolation Cast. Joining me today, your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish, is Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Hello, Ryan, virtually across the um, internet. Is Mr. Lee Price. Hello. And we have Miss Laura Craven, accompanied by Basil the Bear. <laughs> Hi. How are we all? What have you been up to the last few weeks in our isolation zones? What have you been up to, um, Laura? <laughs> what have I been up to? I have been making some zines for friends. I have been making, um, entirely ridiculous, um, paper flowers out of toilet roll tube holders. Uh, working, uh, reading books, and uh, watching Future Man on Amazon Prime. Future Man? What is Future yeah. Man? Uh, I assume his evil enemy is Past Man. No, it's got uh, Josh Hutchinson, the guy from uh... Hunger Games. That's it, Hunger Games. One of those post-apocalyptic um, child movies that were very popular around 2010. Yeah, I, I read them all. I can't remember what they're called. Um, it shows how much dystopian fiction I read. Um, he plays a gamer who finishes a game that was said to be unfinishable, and then it turns out that it was a training video. Oh, Dark Souls. Huh? This is the plot of the last Starfighter. I'm sorry, this is a blatant <laughs> riddle. No, no, this is the thing. They reference that. So they reference all of these things. He's like, hold on a second. This is blatantly the plot from something. Anyway, so it turns out to be a training video. Um, and it, because he's completed it, they think he's the chosen one because they think he is his like character in the computer game. Although he quite clearly isn't. He's a janitor working in this huge biochemical company. And then they have to try and stop something happening that like changes the world irreversibly um, by these two characters going back. And it's complete nonsense and really silly, but really fun. Um, and yeah, Josh Hutchinson um, has, like, plays a character who, like, there's a lot of kind of silliness about it. I think like quite a lot of actors probably wouldn't want to play a character like that. It looks... Like, it's a lot of fun to kind of film as well. Uh, so I've been watching quite a lot of that. Uh, it's been good fun. It's kind of balances silly with geeky, with kind of complete nonsense, um, and very nice and lighthearted. I would recommend it. So does it It's also filthy as hell um, in parts. It really is. They make lots of reference to, like, really silly things. Um there's a whole body swap bit. I don't know if you've got you've got that far into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, when they look at their pants. And one character's left with somebody else's appendage and he's very upset about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and and the, their uh tension relief. <laughs> that was a bit. Um, yeah. yeah, it's still seems like you know, like fifteen-year-old boy humor, which is yeah. quite funny, this, this rather than very fan servicey. 
it's just it, it's light-hearted and silly and I would recommend it especially like if current situation is feeling very kind of anxious and stressful this is definitely kind of ridiculous does he get to go into a spaceship and fight off an evil alien lizards um no there are like weird aliens that aren't aliens or something in it i'm only i don't know i feel like i've watched loads of it but i probably haven't <laughs> they're biomechanical um, things yeah it's it's a time uh, travel story rather than space I was just wondering yes. if they ripped off the last firefighter completely, or just like the first half. No, no, but they do joke a lot of things where the plots are similar to stuff. Like he, it is kind of quite self-aware in that sense, so it doesn't take itself too seriously at all, which is what I think is is quite good about it. It's quite meta in places. It's 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 it is just ridiculous. I just watched the first two seasons on Sci-Fi. And then um, this the third and final season is now on Amazon Prime. But I need to get around to watch that. So it's quite cool. It's just nonsense. It's just, it's like evening with a drink fun. Yeah. Yeah, like kind of, it's just good humoured, doesn't take itself seriously. Um, and yeah, it's been quite enjoyable, particularly like when there's so much kind of angst in the in the news and online. This has been a nice kind of antidote to that. I'll look forward to adding that to my ever-growing list of shows to get around to watching at some point, which seems to be longer than the actual, like, the heat death of the universe at the minute. <laughs> Lee, what have you been up to? Um, so, <laughs> so um, I just got resident services set up, and I'm building a bridge, and my tailors are about to come in, Um Basically, just Animal Crossing for the past week. Not, not real life. <laughs> <Or so. laughs> no, no, not real life. <laughs> it amazes me how many people online are just living through Animal Crossing at the minute. I mean, they can go to the shops, they can go and discourse with Tom Nook, who will mm-hmm. give them another mortgage. We'll see Timmy. You and can Tommy visit your friends. With... You can go. It's busy work, the game is the way I'd describe it. It's just lots of relaxing activities you can do with no stress, no time limits. And just a raccoon to pay back at the end of it. I accident I, I accidentally dressed like a cowboy today, so you know, there's that. <laughs> there's a... Um but yeah, apart from apart from that, it's just been like downloading random bits of video stuff to go into the thing. Watching a lot of Beyond Belief show that turned into a meme recently with Jonathan Frakes. Just because <laughs> I wanted to take some clips from those questions in and put them in a project that should be out by the time this goes out live. So, <laughs> I, I love that. I've seen that Jonathan Frakes video with having your three-year-old at home all day video. It's just constant barrage of questions. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine many yeah. parents just like... yeah. Stop asking now, please. <laughs> stop. Just stop asking the questions. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Have you been just... having to go on Doom as well? Um, I tried a bit of Doom, but I think the PlayStation update it got screwed up the install of that because it started just crashing constantly. And I haven't gone back to test it yet. So, but it seems alright so far. See, I what it was I... a hardcore deck game when he was. <laughs> I am. I'm so constantly on Animal Crossing. Gamer and he was only playing Animal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It seems to be the hardcore gamer of choice. <laughs> the amount of tweets I've seen about turnip farming. Oh god, some of the stuff and that I believe pe- just before we're recording. Some of the stuff that people Sorry, are doing right now is like there's like a whole black market for like oh give me certain numbers of tickets or bells or whatever and try and get this villager to move to your island and like give me like 200 nook mile tickets so I can go and fo- go on a million different tours and hope that this one villager I want is there and it's like why why are you doing this <laughs> yeah it's going to say i mean they've just released the announcement for their new update mm-hmm. haven't they with like uh bushes Mm-hmm. Bushes are now going to be available, bushes and hedges. Yes. And everybody is very excited about this thing that you can get a bush. And and you get the um you the know. pirate fox arriving to sell you paint. I'm most interested in becoming a wedding uh. photographer for the uh on Harvey's <laughs> Island. That looks like the best thing. Arrange arrange the chapel and then take people's photos. That's, that's an that's like June, I think, when they're doing that one. So like, yeah, I spend all my time being a, a, a wedding photographer. Virtually, that's just nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are trying to move everyone's jobs to uh, working from home, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Imagine people trying to have proper meetings in Animal Crossing. Someone's going to try. But like that whole was it Second Life it's when just... they start having meetings? Yeah. Somebody somebody has done that. Somebody has tried to have. I'm I'm not sure whether it's it's somebody in Japan or whether it's somebody somewhere else. But someone already has tried to do a. There was you know, um, Animal Crossing. There was a Japanese graduation ceremony in Minecraft. I do know that much. Yeah. Could you imagine that though with the little Animal Animal Crossing speech noise that you get there? Every time you're having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> just doing it entirely in the Animal Crossing chat. <laughs> which is very hard to type on with my big fat fingers, which I found out when I visited I know. your islands. <laughs> <laughs> it's also really confusing for me because if I try and use that keyboard, the space and the backspace are like clockwise from where they are on the PS4. So I keep pressing all the wrong buttons just when typing stuff in. Yeah, I think we should get Laura a switch light at some point just so she could join in on the Animal Crossing fun. Get <laughs> Island Envy as well when you go to other people's islands. <laughs> yeah, because like, my I've island's been... trash compared to your two. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I've got going for me is I've got cherries apparently, and everybody wants the cherries. Yeah. <laughs> cherries, bushes. I mean, this is starting to sound very smutty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should get it, and then you can come and visit my island and see that I've done the peach upside down and on the floor, so it doesn't look like a peach. It's wrong. The art's all wrong for that. I'm, just I'm so like, glad I have to you redo can't it. Get aubergines. The, pe- there, so the peach is, to be fair, yeah. Not yet, Ryan. Not yet. That's going to be. A they are adding vegetables at some point. I was going to say, when's that expansion due? <laughs> That'll be paid for DLC. That will. <laughs> All the other veg will be free except for the aubergine. Mm. Well, they haven't had babies in an Animal Crossing game yet. So maybe that could be the next thing. Oh, could you imagine? Cross... It would be like the island of Dr. Mm. Moreau with all the hybrid animals coming out. Well, you can cross-pollinate plants. Yeah, so... but like your your neighbours like owls and dogs and cats and falcons. And could you imagine yeah. the cross-breeded animals that you'll get out of there? It's like just a sphinx walks past. <laughs> Hello, I'm your new neighbour child. 
<laughs> as long as they release a Val Kilmer costume to go with it that you can dress up in, that'll be fine. <laughs> some some people out there have gone, oh, I know what he means. Yeah, and here's me thinking the rude owl who doesn't like my insects that I deliver to him is the worst part of that game. <sighs> <laughs> I, I love the fact that Blathers is always asleep during the day and awake during the night. It's brilliant. I like. I, I identify with that owl. Mm-hmm. It's it's just the cheek I get off him. Oh, that's a really nice fossil, but I don't want that. It's like I can sell this for ten G's, Blathers. I can sell this for ten G's. I've got a friend who's a paleontologist who is absolutely obsessed with that museum. Like she loves that museum because it's basically her job. <laughs> In Animal Crossing. <laughs> Is your friend basically Ross from Friends? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> does, does she have a curious predilection for sandwiches? No. No. <laughs> I suppose we should talk about well, what Keith's been up to the last couple of weeks as well. Well, I have been playing a bit of Animal Crossing and then watching other people's profiles go <laughs> has been playing this game for 95 hours, 160 hours. And you just sit going, okay, I'm not putting enough into this, which is fine. But I, start, I started the great paperwork purge of 2020 uh, in these last couple of weeks, uh, which was just going back through all of the various paperworks that's just been piled up in a cupboard for the past 15 years. And going, why on earth did I keep this? Why have I still got employment contracts for a job I haven't done in 20 years? My mum had bank statements from 1991. When she... See, here I was still thinking you were doing this in Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm three days into that so far, and I haven't finished. That's how much paperwork I've got knocking around. It's embarrassing. Is it going to be like that gif of the <laughs> Japanese mascot with the fire behind it? And you're just going to go and burn the paperwork in the back garden. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I've got I've got a ginormous <laughs> pile that I'm going to shred. So I'm going to, I'm going to spend a whole day shredding a bunch of paperwork. Uh, and then I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do with it. You should shred it that. live on stage like Weird Al Yankovic did. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's, here's, one of, here's one of my egg credit card statements. Uh, uh, like, why have I still got this? Facebook Live it. <laughs> <laughs> Just one of those ASMR videos. <laughs> Keith Bloomfield shreds for 20 uh, hours. Yeah, I was, I was going to do it outside, straight into a giant trub, because um, I can't. Because the the bin that they give you with the shredder, it's just not going to cut it. I'm going to have to empty it every like 30 seconds. I think you really should live stream this. <laughs> yeah, here I am in the garden with a giant trub. Here's here's the billions of papers that I'm going to shred. It'd be like that puddle that was filmed in Manchester. A few People years will ago. watch it, Keith. I can assure you. Do you remember that puddle a few years ago in Manchester that was in an underpass or something, and somebody just set up a live webcam on it, and it had like over ten thousand watchers at one point—just people watching a puddle. I think I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah. Laura's looking lost again. I I stopped looking. <laughs> It's like we should be live streaming this. This would be, uh, this would be the thing to do. Live, live stream the actual video conversation that goes on. No, because I do look like I want like one of those Minecraft tutorials. <laughs> what we need to do is like green screen out your background and put you in something, and uh, that'd be great. Put you in the corner. Well, that was one of the joys of work. To work Just put you on a roller coaster. 
Yeah. So we use Microsoft Teams for our workplace <laughs> conversations, and they've just just put in custom backgrounds. But it's like a preset list of ten. You can't do your own background yet. But Minecraft is one of them. And there's a galaxy field as well. Of course it is. One. You've got to have the galaxy field, haven't you? You've got to do it properly. You've got to, you've got to wonder about the seriousness of these things when people are having, like, they're going, I'm going to put a custom background on and I'm going to use the Simpsons house or somewhere from South Park. It's like, really? <laughs> this, is, this, is just a, this is just a con. It's a very professional backgrounds, Keith. <laughs> yes. the it's best, like... Very professional. I've seen quite a good few ones. One is the BBC News background from 1987. It's like the lovely retro graphics. Okay. One is the US office, which I do quite <laughs> like when they're like having their little one to one conversation. So you just got the window of the office in the corner with Stanley sat there. Mm-hmm. There's one which is the parks and recreation one, which is Ron Swanson's office. There's quite a few good ones out there. I, I know Keith would just have like the bridge of the Enterprise, any model that you want, and just be in the captain's chair. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I might, I might, I don't know. I'd just be, I'd just be worried the perspective would be all off. <laughs> what, um, would, what would I'd... you all have as your background of choice? <laughs> We're all stuck now. I can't yeah. think of anything. Emperor's throne room. Yeah, I'm thinking because I've spent so, so much time editing a video on control, probably the director's chair from that game. Just have that in the background. Yeah, if you, maybe maybe the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. That might be one. Mm. Lewis is going to have all of the, all of those TikToks, those hands, handsome men and their cats behind us. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Just a mosaic of, of all of them. <laughs> Cat mosaic. Be behind me, not. That would be pointless. Everyone yeah. else would be fun. <laughs> I'd have the bridge of the Megazord from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Ah, uh, okay. Good, good mech choice. You can have EV Unit 1. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, Evangelion could, could work. Yeah. But I'm not sure I'd be willing to put up with, like, the mental health issues that would come from being in that. <laughs> the music would just start up every time around the video. Dun 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 yeah, I can't think where I wrote. Oh, maybe like the cave from the master in season one of Buffy. That'd be oh, kind of fun. Yeah, you'll have, you'll mm-hmm. have your own uh, doorway to hell in the offset in the floor. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my best offer. Been up to anything else, Keith? <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything that'd be like really cool. But it's like I'm not that cool. I can't think of anything. Right. Well, you got a Godzilla on your island in Animal Crossing. I want to know yeah. where you got that from. Uh, I, th- I just bought it in the shop. In, in Tom Nook had one, and then he missold me a giant robot as well. It was a right swindle. <laughs> he sold me the giant robot, not telling me that I'd have to craft it with a bunch of stuff that I have not got. So somewhere I've got to find a space rocket to, to do it, and then I need a bunch of stars. And then I need a load of other junk. I need loads of rusted parts. It's like I've just I've got a I've got a stiff Gulliver like twenty times to get all of the um, rusted parts I need. Um, yeah, so that's a bit. I was a bit miffed with that because I thought, oh great, I can put the robot. I'll put one end of the island and Godzilla at the other, and it'd be like this would be really cool. And no, 
God, give me the monster, but then he do me over on the giant. Sold you a schematic, robot. did he? Yeah. Craft it yourself oh. with all the parts you're never going to get. I was going to say, is it a little bit like when you think you've bought something off Etsy, but it turns out to be a PDF download? <laughs> it's exactly like yeah, that. Basically, it's yeah, basically. Exactly like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that is what Tom, as Tom The DIY recipes are scanned. exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. It's PDF downloads. It's like that woman. It, it was, who... I, like that woman who bought a, thought she'd won a Toyota on a quiz on a radio station and actually got given a toy Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just going to say a picture of a car. No, it was. But that's funnier. Yeah, yeah I think she was in Brooklyn somewhere. Basically, this woman was like, "Yeah, you'd win a Toyota," and she was like, "Yay, I want a car." And he's like, "No, a toy Yoda." <laughs> she ended up suing the radio station. I can see. I can see how that would happen in American accent. So yeah. Yeah. I'm just imagining that Keith would be more pleased with the Toyota than the Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's not the one that's there it is. the lightsaber, Keith. I'm disappointed. No, I don't think he's got any batteries in him. Um, so, I don't, know, I don't think it'll work. Because if he did, he would swing around with a lightsaber. You, you press his hands and he does weird things and his mouth talks. Um <laughs> <laughs> I might try and get his. I like I like the specificness of that. His mouth talks. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like this. Well, you know some of these Star Wars aliens. Both <laughs> of Star Wars. I'm about halfway through my Clone Wars rewatch. The, all, the, all the seasons. All the seasons. So I'm watching them in chronological order because there's a really good guide on StarWars.com. So I'm about sixty percent of the way through. Which is weirdly season three, because four, five, and six seem to be much shorter than one, two, and three were. Yeah, six is only like about a few episodes, isn't it? Because they, they did that as the lost episodes ones, yeah. didn't they? Uh, apparently, there's still more episodes after this season seven that they haven't released yet, where they've like did them and never got round to finishing them off. So there'll be okay. even more lost episodes. To be honest, it's made my enjoyment of the prequels much greater. It's a good show. It's a really good show. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a Star Wars fan, I think you should be watching all of the animated stuff, really. Yeah. Viv's watching yeah. The Mandalorian as well, which is enjoying much more than the recent movies. Ooh. It's got that really old Star Warsy feel to it, so it feels much closer to the original trilogy than the sequel movies. Yeah, and it's good. It's good. I'm not. I, I, I much prefer the animated stuff yeah. personally. I think. Well, it's um, basically John Favreau just doing Akira Kurosawa's entire back catalogue in Star Wars form. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've just invented. I've just investigated Yoda, Yoda's rear end, and he hasn't got any batteries in him. That's why he's not working. <laughs> I just had to unscrew his bottom <laughs> to, to find out. <laughs> he didn't appreciate it. Things to say out of context. I mean, Put away your weapon. <laughs> Screw my bottom back on, please. Yeah, so I did that. What was it? Watch Mandalorian. Started doing a little bit of origami. Oh, what have you made? Uh, I've started making some paper cranes. Ah, nice. Multiple colours. I thought they'd be nice and pretty. Nice to put somewhere after the after the lockdown. Oh, yeah, other than that, it's been. Is it, like a, is it a thousand of them? 
It's a thousand. It's a thousand for a wedding. Ten thousand for a wedding, I think it is. You're supposed to give a gift Something. of ten thousand cranes for good looks for the rest of the marriage. Yeah. Haven't got that much paper, unfortunately. Okay. I'd offer to help, but that sounds like a lot. <laughs> Although I have got a stack load of paper that I can use. The best I have ever made is roughly about 500 in one go, and that took forever. I made when I used to work, yeah. When I used to work for an arts organisation, um, we had a, a building in a town not far away from me, and one of the events that we did was a pretend pond. So we had people making swans and cranes out of origami, and we got about a thousand and something done in a day um it looks impressive but good god it took ages yeah yeah i made a lotus flower when i was in australia and that took ages and loads of paper i made a bunch of tulips once as a birthday present for somebody yeah. that, that took quite a while and you had to blow into the origami to puff it out and it like so many crushed bits of paper around me at that time and lots of frustration Origami is a good, nice, relaxing activity as well. I would highly recommend picking something like that up at the minute. If you've got time and lots of paper. With not financial information like key sold bank statements from 2002. <laughs> Luckily I haven't, I haven't found anything pre-2000 yet. Which is a good sign. I did throw something <laughs> away a while back. Anyway, so coming up on the show today anyway, we are going to be looking at some of the less well-known childhood movies that we thought we might look at revisit from our own childhoods. And Keith, you have an interview with a lovely local comic creator. Yeah, I am uh, recently spoke to Stu Perrins, who just lives down the road from me in West Bromwich. So we talked about a couple of his um, comic books that he's got, uh, new collections coming out shortly, and a bit of his um, inspiration and influences. Some people might be struggling on things to entertain the family at the minute, and they've watched everything on Netflix. I think I think some people are like treating it like Xbox Live achievements and just trying to watch everything they can. But we thought we'd pick some stuff that you can't usually find on streaming services, well, pretty much anywhere normally. So, Keith, you picked out a few films from your childhood. Well, I've I've centered on one mm-hmm. um, because. This whole thing took me back down a, a memory lane filled with trauma. Um, uh, starting mostly with the fact that in 1977, when a certain film came out, and I said to my dad, can we go and see this film? He was like, no, no, there's a better one out. And he dragged me to see Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger <laughs> instead. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I didn't get to see Star Wars for a long time. See, all I can that. think of is Survivor now. Just yeah, with Sinbad for you. I mean, you know, it's an adequate enough romp with some nice Ray Harryhausen stop motion animation in there, but it wasn't the genre defining film of that year, which is in there. <laughs> so I didn't pick that. 
I didn't think that. <laughs> but what I did do is, is I thought about the films that I saw. I'm imagining the alternate universe where that is the case. <laughs> yeah. Where everything is now based on stop motion animation. Based on Sinbad. Yeah. Everything is Sinbad yeah. related. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it doesn't quite work. Um, but I was thinking that instead of then about the films that I saw at that cinema, which was the Grove Cinema on the Dudley Road, which I'm not a million miles away from now. And he's still there. The building is still there, but it sells you baths instead of films. Um, it's a be- beautiful <laughs> kind of old Art Deco style um, cinema. And I saw loads and loads of films at that uh, particular picture house. So I kind of went back through some of those. So some of the ones I really dug when I was a kid were Escape from Witch Mountain and Return to Witch Mountain. But they're far too popular because people will remember the fact that there was remakes of those and it's owned by Disney and The Rock was in one at one point. So I kind of started thinking about the really crazy movies that I saw that I liked. And I remembered a film that starred uh, two guys who kind of really came from spaghetti westerns. And this particular film was actually dubbed. I didn't realize it at the time because I was only eight, I think. Um, And it stars uh, Terence Hill who people people look him up they'll remember him from a lot of kind of spaghetti western movies and another guy called bud spencer and it's a film called watch out we're mad and it's just mayhem it's a spanish italian co-production uh obviously was dubbed it was released originally in spain in 1974 came to britain in 1976 uh it's basically just slapstick comedy about two guys going head to head uh, to win a uh, dune buggy uh, because everybody wanted a dune buggy in 1976 I used to watch a cartoon series which starred a dune buggy called um, Speedy who used to talk like this kind of stuff Hanna-Barbera people should check it out dune buggy he's in Laugh Olympics I'm sure um, yeah so it's just nuts it's I don't think it's really family friendly as such because I think I'm, if I, if I, if I haven't seen it in in as many years as, as it, since it came out, I don't think I've ever, I've ever seen it again. Possibly once in the very early 80s on video. Um, but it's just mayhem. It's just violence and, and mayhem uh, all the way through. Um, but I, I loved it because it's just cars crashing and people getting beaten up and lots of kind of things. And Terence Hill and Bud Spencer getting into it all the time. So they did a few of the movies where they were buddies, but I think they're kind of um, they're, they're opposing each other in this particular one. Is this a movie um, for it's kids just nonsense. As well? um, it's. I think now it's a twelve. Uh, I can't remember, but I think it's it's fun for kids in the same kind of sense of like any kind of, you know. I imagine the, the modern equivalent would be Fast and Furious, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so take Jay, take your own choice then about whether it's um, for kids. But it was just it was just nuts. I think it was made on like peanuts. Uh, because of of where it came from, um, but yeah, but it was just kind of like I think I'm sure as well there was a song that went with it um, that that I, that I kind of thought was really kind of funny and cool and stuff at the same time. Um, but yeah, but June buggies and stuff. So it was just it was just quite just mayhem, absolute mayhem. And I remember seeing that. I, I think I then saw a couple of other films where Terence Hill and Bud Spencer teamed up. Uh, in other ones, and I'm sure one was a, a kind of more spaghetti western style movie. Um, but I, d- I just don't think anybody has, has seen them in 30 plus years because um, they don't tend to, tend to turn up anywhere. I don't think there's any kind of high definition um, 
reprint no, of like, it. There's no like forgotten print somewhere. Sat in I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. There might have been like some really dodgy kind of VHS in the very very beginnings of VHS when people were just looking for any old content to stick out on VHS for people to watch. Um, but yeah, but just it was just kind of and it was, doesn't. It's about an hour and a half long, uh, and it's just just. I just remember it being funny and and the, the two leads who obviously weren't speaking I don't I'm not fairly certain they weren't speaking in English originally but it's just dubbed over and I'm not even sure if it's their original voices you know, themselves in the dub um, but it was just kind of crazy and it, you know it wasn't Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger or whatever it was at the time but yeah this makes me feel like it would be something that you'd appear now on Mystery Science Theatre 3000 <laughs> with people just discussing how bad of a film it is underneath it. Yeah, I don't think there's much plot to it. I think it's just chase after chase after chase and then a bit of slapping each other around. Um, so it's based like Cannibal. Like, let me check Rift Track, see if they've got I think it's in, I think, I think it's in the vein of things like Cannibal Run and Smoking the Bandit and stuff, but yeah. just not as well made. Just a low but budget Spanish Italian version of Cannibal Run. Yeah, uh, but I just remember I just remember going to the cinema and thinking, "Oh God, that was amazing! I loved that. That was brilliant." Um, and wanting to go and see it again. And I think as a result, I did see a few of these Terence Hill, Bud Spencer um, movies after that. Cool. So if you haven't seen them before, I don't know where or how you'd see them, um, but definitely worth. It. I think you know if you like. The Man with No Name and stuff like that, kind of really weird European American films. Spaghetti Western style. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it was it was fun. I remember it vividly from when I was a kid. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier, Doctor, just to buy the one lousy, bleeding, rotten tomb buggy? Nine, nine. You mustn't give in to the whims of them. Tomb buggy. Will you get me off here? So I I struggled because I lived through the golden age of VHS at home. Uh, my nan was like a massive film watcher, and she she loved like every schlocky horror movie going. So like stuff like Critters I watched quite from like the age of seven, which is probably not very appropriate, and probably still isn't appropriate <laughs> now. So I'm not going to cover Critters off. But I went through some of the films that I remember having on VHS and watching at my nan's as a little kid. One of them was Daryl. If anybody remembers cool. that, which was the story about a, it was it was a Pinocchio style story, a little bit, with like this child, robotic child and his dad doing everything he could to protect him. Uh, really interesting movie. One was Inner Space, which is a classic Dennis Quaid movie. Martin Short, Dennis Quaid gets injected into Martin Short, and then we have the whole runner plot about how is he going to get himself out at some point, and it. Really, really classic film. Uh, the other ones I looked at were The Water Babies, which is... The animated um, yes. shit one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the one from the 1978, which my nan had on VHS, which is basically like an acid trip for children. That's the only way I can describe it. It's like watching Sgt. Pepper's... It's, it's a film that starts off as like a normal movie, swaps to animated halfway through, and gets really, really trippy, but it's pretty much everybody from the 70s, isn't it? James Mason, Bernard Cribbings, 
Uh, John Pertwee's in it. David Jason's in it. It's Una Stubbs is in it. So it's pretty much everyone that you expect <laughs> to be in a British movie is in this movie from that period. But, <laughs> but it's very weird. Very, very weird. And probably worth still watching to this day though the animation is a bit ropey. Uh, the other one I fondly remember until my mum recorded over it with an episode of Coronation Street was a actual Hanna-Barbera <laughs> Australian co-produced copy of um, The Swiss Family Robinson. So in the late 70s, early 80s, Hanna-Barbera and I think it was something... Wi- Dropping my phone. <laughs> it wasn't me that dropped it. No. Uh, it was <laughs> Hanna-Barbera and a company called Air Programs International. Which were two oh, I remember Aust- them. Yeah. Two Australian companies, and they did loads and loads of classic tales together. Uh, I had the Swiss Family Robinson one on VHS, as I said, until it was taped over, along with my copy of Transformers the movie, with episodes of Coronation Streets. I still don't think I've forgiven my mother <laughs> to this day. Good, good, you shouldn't. <laughs> but, but the film I have picked... <laughs> and this is a trailblazing film because this film sets the trend for action movie stars for quite a while. So we all know now The Rock started off as a wrestler and is a very, very popular film star to this day. But there's got to be somebody who came before him who was also a very, very popular wrestler who also became a film star. Any clues? Any guesses? If you go Suburban Commando, I swear to God. <laughs> yes, it is Suburban I'm, Commando. I, I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> so this, I actually rewatched it today in preparation for this. It's an awful movie, but it's an awful movie that you should watch at some point. It has amazingly bad performances in it. It has... Uh... It has Hulk Hogan with a rat tail looking like he's some Padawan Jedi for half the the, the clunkiest thing. <laughs> and the main thing I noticed from this film, not to dismerge the plot at all, the main thing I noticed was their tracking device was the PKE meter from Ghostbusters. I'm sure the guns they use as well are the ones that the bounty hunters use in Critters. Yes, they I'm are. Sure it's, I'm sure most of the props in that are just ripped off from whatever was lying around in the back lot of Universal Studios. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but if you look at the cast, I mean, it's it's quite a quite a regarded cast. I mean, apart from Hulk Hogan, who plays Shit Ramsey, the eponymous bounty hunter, we have Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown. This was post Back to the Future. And you'd expect his star to be ascending at this point. Shelley Duval, who we know from The Shining. Uh, Larry Miller, who pretty much plays every single 80s sleazeball that you'll ever have. And he's the standout performance in this as Christopher Lloyd's character's boss. Uh, Roy Dotrice is in it as a short little period. Who people now know as was in Game of Thrones. But he was in loads of stuff back then. But uh, he was, Wasn't he in... Um... The Ron Perlman, Linda Hamilton, Beauty and the Beast at one point as well. Yes, I think he was. Yeah. So basically the whole plot of this is uh, Hulk Hogan's spaceship gets damaged. He gets forced to land on the Earth and has to blend in for three weeks while his ship repairs himself. And hijinks ensue, including punching a mime sorry, in the face. Sorry, I was already told on Hulk Hogan's spaceship. <laughs> yeah. It has- <laughs> You don't need is there to say a moment anymore. in the film where Hulk Hogan has to rip his shirt off? There is a moment in the film where he has to rip his shirt off. And one of the bounty hunters, <laughs> one of the bounty hunters who is hunting him is actually played by The Undertaker. 
Uh, you see, I, I'm aware of this film. Oh, I've never seen it, but I'm aware of it. Hey, it's by the same guy who wrote Constantine in 2005, so, I mean, we're on to a winner here. Don't be, dos- <laughs> don't be dissing that, that Constantine. Yeah, but it's it's a there's a, very, there's a decent movie under there. It, it's a very interesting look at American life in the early nineties. Is the best way I'd describe it. Suburban commando. Oh, day. There's there's this whole scene which is my favourite <laughs> scene in the film, where Christopher Lloyd's trying to park his car, but his neighbours, who apparently own like those speedway racing cars, have parked across his driveway. So Hulk Hogan comes out, lifts the car moves it out of the way, these four redneck muscly blokes come over and go, you know what we're going to do to you now for touching our car if there's a single scratch on it? And it's like, what are you going to do, fight me? And they go, no, it's the 90s, man. We're going to sue you. You'll be hearing from my lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) It it is. Sums up perfect Sunday afternoon family movie, I think. I mean, everybody thinks, everybody thinks Mr. Nanny is the is the greatest of Hulk Hogan's movie repertoire, but I I think I think Suburban Commando pips it just for the cheese aspect of it. I, I'd say his best on screen performance was in the bit where the film breaks down in Gremlins Two. <laughs> Not as that's the, probably about as good as it gets. Well, see, one of the Rocky moves as well with like the most stupid wrestling name, uh, stupid boxing name ever. Oh, that would have to be five onwards, possibly. No, it's one of the I earlier I, I ones. I don't recall. Think. Really? Yeah. Possibly in three, with B.A. Baracus. Uh, bear with me one moment, caller. I mean, there's Thunder in Paradise as well, which is Hulk Hogan driving around in a speedboat, which is sped up footage. That, but that that comes out the whole Airwolf, Blue Thunder, <laughs> Highwayman, kind of literally Night Rider, people with jazzed up gear. Um, do do bad stunts. He was basically... <laughs> he was in the A-Team, apparently, as Hulk Hogan. And he was in the Love Boat he... as Hulk Hogan. In most things he's in, uh, he's Hulk Hogan. Yes, he was in Rocky Three in 1982. Do you want to know his character's name? Hulk Hogan. Thunderlips. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest oh, character name in the movie, Thunderlips. Well. Well, we've set the bar super high for <laughs> That's Laura unfortunate. and me now. Yeah. Watch out, we're mad and suburban commando. <laughs> it's that slight. He's torture your family by showing them these movies. Right. He, his IMDb page is a wonder to behold, by the way. I found information that I've never heard of. He's He's got six soundtrack credits on IMDb. What Are is... you going to give us any of them? <laughs> One is for Dolly, the TV series, and he performed a song called You've Got a Headlock on My Heart. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, uh, one is Beans and Butthead, the TV Excellent. series, in the episode Killing Time, where he performed... I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, where he performed a real American. Thunder in Paradise 2, <laughs> uh, writer end titles as Terry Hulk Hogan. Uh, Baywatch... Performer, one episode. Performer, American made, uncredited. WCW, Monday Night Nitro, <laughs> 17 episodes. Performer, American made. And the best one, Malcolm in the Middle, 2000, in the episode of Bully. <laughs> and he was the performer of the song, The Hulksters in the House. 
I don't even remember that episode. <laughs> and he's got he was one... recently in an episode of the Goldbergs as well. Yeah, he's got one episode of... Uh, he's got one credit for being thanked as well in the credits, which was for War Inc., the movie from... <laughs> <laughs> the movie starring John Cusack and Melissa Tomei. That was an interesting look into the life of times of wow. Mr. Hulk. <laughs> he's he's no Roddy Piper. Wow. That's for certain. <laughs> I think Laura and Lee have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, some bizarre flipping Spanish, Italian dune buggy movie, <laughs> and Hulk Hogan as an intergalactic bounty hunter. I'm now having to rethink my uh, my choices. Also, I couldn't find Suburban Commando on any streaming service except having to buy it from either Google Play or YouTube. There's probably a good reason for that. <laughs> £3.50 as well. It's like going down to the blockbuster price, that is. Don't even get to get a bag of candy on the way. <laughs> or, a, or a tub of unfeasibly large popcorn. Uh, suburban Commando. Right, time Class. To Time to take a break from the movies and head into the world of comics with Keith. So, so far in our films, we've had Keith's Spanish-Italian cannibal run copy of a film, which I can't remember the title of again now. Watch out, we're mad. And I've got the Hulk Hogan eponymous classic sci-fi adventure with Christopher Lloyd, Suburban Commando. When it comes to intergalactic confrontation, no one can beat Chef Ramsay. Excellent work, Ramsay. What's next? Why don't you try relaxing? But now, he's about to land in a place even he isn't prepared for. Suburbia. Get to know the locals. Blend in. How do you know which ones are the right ones? You have to squeeze it a bit. Wow. I found a good one. Here, they have strange ways of fighting. You got any idea what we're going to do to you? Let me guess. You're going to pound my face. What are you, nuts? It's the 90s. We're going to sue you. Hello and welcome to Geeky Brummies' latest comics roundup. Uh, this week we're taking a little bit of a different approach to it. As you probably are well aware, there's not many new comic books coming into stores. Uh, so we're taking this opportunity to reach out to some of the independent comics creators out there. And we are lucky enough to be able to talk to the wonderful Stu Perrins. Hello, Stu. Hello, Keith. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. We know about you, Stu, because we've met you at uh, various conventions over the years. Uh, but if you could just tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. I'm a writer and co-creator of such titles as Megatommy Battle Rabbit, Whatever Happened to the Archetype, Clockwork Inc. And I'm currently in the process of, be, of putting together a quarterly digital anthology, which I'm quite excited about, with a few sort of like-minded indie comic creators. So that's... That's sort of picking up a little bit of steam now with people getting on board with that. So that's that's sort of yeah, all very exciting. That's good to hear. I do like an anthology title. It seems to be one of the quintessential British comic styles. It reminds me a great deal of, of things like yeah. 2000 AD and action comics and all of that. Well, I mean, it's I mean, I think it's sort of a direct sort of influence from that. So I mean, when I started getting into comics as a kid, it would I mean, when I was very young, it was stuff like the Beano and Dandy, which are obviously anthologies. And then when I got a little bit older, it was as you say 2000 AD and stuff like that. So my first sort of real introduction to comics would have been through anthologies and stuff so i think it's quite an interesting interesting way of telling a story and also it kind of gives the creators a room to try and sort of experiment with things and you know not have to sort of 
go at you know a new sort of I don't know unusual idea and sort of try to sell it as a I don't know four part series or something if you you know you can tell your crazy ideas in four pages or whatever you know it gives you that chance to be a little bit more experimental and sort of potentially yeah these new ideas to people who wouldn't have necessarily have uh, seen them yeah. you know so who would have been kind of the, your big major influences who who is it that's kind of encouraged you to become or, or what series has encouraged you to become a comic writer oh god i mean it's one of the <laughs> it's like that is i mean i mean it's just to start, when I was starting, I think the first when I, when I first got into comics, I think the first name, the first person I would have been aware of being comics creator would be Pat Mills, because before then it would have just been I like this character and I like these stories. Whereas when, I, as I say, when I first started reading 2000 AD, I would recognise people like Pat Mills and obviously Alan Moore and and people like that. So it, that, I mean, but yeah, Pat Mills is kind of a bit of a hero of mine, and and I suppose he, if it, if it wasn't for him, potentially I wouldn't be even doing this because he sort of made you know not so you know he turned comics into being something I liked into something I loved, and that sort of stuck with me. But I mean. I mean, my influences sort of go further than just sort of comics because I'm a big fan of people like Terry Gilliam's my absolute heroes and the biggest sort of influence on my work. Not necessarily that you would see a connection within what I do and what he has done, but the fact that he just kind of goes all in and just sort of goes, all bets are off, (laughs) whatever I'm going to, whatever I'm telling you is going to be. So, yeah, I mean, but yeah, Terry Gilliam and people like Terry Pratchett, I was a, I'm a huge fan of, and Douglas Adams. So all of these people sort of have had some sort of influence in me and how I create, I think. It's a, it's a great list of influences. I think the reason that those three, their work works is because you are almost being exposed to the story from the inside, if you like. You're not sort of, it's as if the things they're talking about are fact. It's not weird. This is the universe that you're in, and this is how the world works. But I mean, I've been a fan of terry gilliam since obviously through sources of like monty python and then discovered things like jabberwocky and time bandits which is still my favorite film of all time good choice time Bandits. and this sort of like man i could <laughs> my my kids are sick of it <laughs> already sick of hearing me talking about how i'm waiting for them to get to an age where i'm gonna you are gonna love yeah. this film it's such a simple idea but it's so beautifully layered and there's lots of little things, you know, every time I've never, I must have watched it a million times and I've n- it never yeah. bores me. Films like that just don't sort of exist yeah. anymore. It's... You know, the fact that a kid and the, and the six dwarves are the heroes of the story and you just think, what? That's brilliant. That's brilliant and yeah. mental. And John Cleese is Robin Hood. <laughs> what more do you need? I love stuff that just goes. Actually, we're gonna forget the rules. This is what's gonna. It's a, happen. It's, a, it's a great, great movie, full of full of fantastic deeds that adds and wonderful, wonderful characters. I mean, I even love like where at the beginning of the film, Kevin's mom and dad have got everything they old dear wrapped in cellophane, like the sofa's got covered in cellophane and like lampshades covered in cellophane. And then later on in the movie, when you meet Evil, who's obviously the the villain of the film, everything he's got is also covered in cellophane fame and stuff like that weird with the heart that's what i like we'll get back on to film possibly when we're talking about some of your uh comics works because we're going to move on to a couple of the books um that you've written over the past few years and the first one we're going to talk about is whatever happened to the archetype which might have a similar kind of setup to other comics people may have, have read in their past but can you tell me a little bit more about that particular book well basically um it is it, it is using 
Um, the idea of a an aging superhero is a way of talking about societies, the way society treats the elderly. And the, the idea uh, originally sprang from a few years ago when my granddad passed away. And uh, and he was on the Friday night and on the Saturday. I'd gone around to see my nan and she was, and I come from quite a big family. So there was, and I'm like the oldest of eight grandkids on that side. So I was sort of like talking to my nan about this stuff. And then she just drops into conversation that, my granddad when he was younger was part of a motorcycle stunt team and i was like what like what do you mean and i'm like said to mom is this true and she went yeah yeah it's true well why is nobody telling me this this is amazing you know the guys you know see this old old footage of people driving through hoops on fire and you know and all that sort of stuff and he was that and that got me thinking well what else don't i know and then as i thought about it further i thought well why am i that surprised because he wasn't always a, an old man he wasn't always my granddad he was a person who had a past and stuff so that got me thinking about what else don't i know and why does society think that when people get to a certain age they cease to have or in their eyes cease to have a value you know they cease to be creative and they cease to be have had added life you know so it was a direct influence from or the idea of it at least was in a direct influence from my grandfather it's a great way to base a story on a real influence and, and a history and stuff as well. Because it's, yeah. it's quite a good story because it is it is a very British story as well. It's quite nice that it's a superhero story that takes place within British history and stuff yeah. as well. I mean, you know, it's like why you know you've only got to, you've only you can you know throw a dart at a DVD section of a of a of a shop and you're going to hit a, a film where aliens land in um, in America because that's the only country in the world <laughs> aliens apparently land in. And I don't know, obviously I don't know what it's like to live in America. However, I do know what it's like to live in the UK. So I, yeah. you know, it's like the old cliches and you write what you know. I, I, you know, there's enough American superheroes and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just, it, I mean, it really, it could have been, you know, it could have been, I suppose, could have been set at any point. But I mean, it's the story is about, it, it, you know, it was more sort of concerned about the social sort of politics of it. And people generally don't think, you know, people just think, oh, it's just an old bloke. Well, you don't know, you know, people, everybody's got a story, everybody's got a life and have done things. Hopefully, with this pandemic that's going on at the moment, people will reassess things maybe and start to look at people a little bit differently but yeah it, it did come from a gen you know a genuine sort of influ- influence it was a, it was an a case of oh what if it was sort of it came from there was a, a genuine development of the story from an idea and i mean also and then there's the other side of it where it is i know obviously he never got to he never for obvious reasons never got to sort of see it but i know he would have loved the story and he would have loved it because i've got quite strong memories of watching stuff like thunderbirds and captain scarlet with him so when i was a kid so he would have he he would have loved that night as well you know was it a conscious decision to go with um, black and white art on that particular series because Ron Gravel's work on that is really nice and it does remind me of kind of old British comic strips the kind of things that I would have read from from the 50s and stuff like the Hotspur comics where you had like the spider and Archie the robot and all that kind of stuff so was did you yeah, did, yeah, Ron, yeah. did you kind of go to Ron and how, how did Ron get involved in the project? Um, it was, I'm trying to think back now, but I think it was, I sort of had an idea, I had sort of like, I can't remember, what, I mean, he sort of developed a little bit further, but I had sort of like the elevator pitch, if you like, and I put, I put it on Twitter and he got in contact with me through through Twitter. And I think the black and white thing was quite, I think that was one of the first, if not the first thing we discussed. And he said he could, he'd had, oh, um, I think, and then I think he's 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 he kept, that came from Ron the black and the idea of being black and white artwork because it being a sort of a golden age superhero, wouldn't it make sense for it to be that 
you know, to look yeah. like that. And it that came from me, but I think it was quite a, there wasn't much of a discussion in it. It was sort of like Ron had said, what about Danny Black? And I said, yeah, that sounds cool. And it was, it was that, that makes sense. It wasn't a long sort of um, drawn out thing, you know, it's quite, oh, cool, let's do that. It was quite a simple thing. Because when I work on a project with anyone, I'm quite sort of, obviously my scripts can be quite, dense at times but that's more for my benefit so I can sort of picture it but I mean if, if the artist says I'm thinking this what about this then I'm I'm all about the uh, collaboration it's a 50-50 thing so he came in and wanted to uh, suggest it doing it like that I went yeah that makes sense you know work you need to work so yeah it is sort of like a hark back to yeah, that it works very it works very well that, does, does conjure up that world and that sense particularly as it's, it's, yeah. it's a recollection of stuff that happened in the past which is quite cool exactly so it's just, it's got this sort of like you know see almost sepia tinged thing at times you know so coming a little bit further forward in time to another of your books which for me seems hugely influenced by uh kind of amlin films of the early 80s uh, we've got Megatomic yeah. Battle Rabbit, which in itself is a is a brilliant title, yeah. and the front cover of the first <laughs> issue is just it, it's it's that yeah, kind of thing is, you go, oh, this is lovely, great because yeah. like here's a giant anthropomorphic rabbit climbing out of, <laughs> of a flaming pit, and it's like this is the kind of thing that you know, I, I used to love those kind of Captain Carrot comics and all of those kind of crazy uh, the Bob Burton yeah, type yeah. books, which are all the kind of like wild yeah. mystery men type bits and pieces which again seem to be influenced by a lot of these kind of things so so how did how did Mechatomic Battle Rabbit come into existence the title um it was because we got two young uh two young kids and there was what and my wife at the time was a nurse and she was working uh, a night shift and the kid my kids seemed to think that when mommy's doing at work at night they can ask daddy absolutely anything all night endlessly so i'd had like two hours sleep i think and i got up the next morning and i was just basically coming up with silly like silly character names and books and comic titles and stuff like that and there was stuff like preteen aqua hamster and and uh and stuff like this and megatommy battle rabbit was one that stuck and i really liked that I thought, oh this is something on that so i scribbled that down and you know and i thought if i still think it if i in like in a couple of days if i come back and i look at that and i still don't think it sounds too silly there must be something in it and i come back i look back at it and i thought this sounds so cool i've got to do this so i sort of started work you know got the idea and the story or a good chunk of the story or at least the the idea came to me sort of instantly because it is partly autobiographical because the central character of Dexter who's a 12 year old boy is very much based on me at their age because I was sort of I was as you say I was sort of obsessed with stuff like E.T. and Back to the Future and Goonies and films like that and I was beyond frustrated that my I might you know I was ne- I'd never gone on one of these fantastic <laughs> adventures you know so i was so annoyed like i was desperately looking in, always seemed to be looking into the sky waiting for some weird light or something that never came you know some alien to whisk me away going to my mate you know adventure so and in his part it is the main central character is based on me and it is sort of like the adventure i wish i'd had but it's also there's also this side this sort of subplot if you like that it's actually the story is actually about judging people on their actions not what they look like not what you think they are and and it's obviously it's an all ages book and i think that's a fairly good particularly in today's climate it's a fairly good lesson to sort of teach people that sort of if everybody was a little bit nicer to everybody it'd be a much better world you know and there's lots of little again as i was saying earlier about you know geeky things there's lots of little nods to sort of that no unless you knew nobody even you'd even not even notice like 
Dexter lives on the same street that I grew up on, and my mom and dad still live on. Dexter goes to the same high school I went to. It does. I don't. It, the, the school doesn't exist now. I think it's a, a academy. I think uh, and things like that. And there's lots of. And I saw it in the scripts. I sort of describe my preteen bedroom to Israel as the artist on it. And he sends me these pictures, and I'm like, "You are shitting me," because that's exactly what my bedroom is like. Like Tardis, Tardis and Daleks all over the floor, and Star Wars toys and all over the floor, and uh, stuff like that. Sort of like you know, pseudo sort of science kit equipment. Just sort of like desperately trying to call aliens down. And, and it was my bed, and it was amazing, you know, amazing that I got this thing back. It's like it got into my head and ripped the memories from it. It's quite nice because it reminds me a little bit of um, Skiz in 2000 AD, which was an alien who landed yeah, in yeah. Birmingham. It was, it was always nice to see things or references to your local neighbourhood or the or kind of the area that you kind of grew up in. And I'm, mm. I live only down the road from West Bromwich. Again, it's another one of those things where you go, yeah, it's cool. Actually, you know, you know I, I've been there. I've been around there. I know West Bromwich. It's kind of it's quite fun. You can kind of like go, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. This, this kind of stuff happens in, in our neck of the woods too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly my thinking of i don't you know i don't know what it's like to grow up in yeah. new york or, or however i do know what it's like to grow up in west bromwich so you know unfortunately or fortunately i don't know how you're looking at it so and you give me there's a does it give me an opportunity i think it's in the second issue i have to write in there's a news reporter who's interviewing somebody from west bromwich so i had to sort of write or wrote that little bit of dialogue in local dialect yeah. if you like so you know it's mech and noise and all that sort of and all that sort of stuff. So I'd be interested in how anybody who doesn't <laughs> has no idea what I'm talking about, this character's saying. So there's, there's little things like that. Megatomic ran for four issues. Four issues, I, yeah. I get the impression this is not the last we're going to see of Megatomic Battle Rap. Is that true? Is he, he is he someone, a, a character you kind of think, I want to go, I want to go back to that? Uh, without a shadow of a day, yeah. He's my, not to sort of compare myself, but he's my um, Spider-Man. <laughs> You know, it's like I'm hope. You know, if this, if the trade is, I mean, I want to write uh, uh, another one, and I've got an idea to do an, a, of a story for another one, and so I could, you know, if somebody said to me, "Here's the money, here's the yeah. time, you could do this. You can only write one character the rest of your life. Who's it going to be?" Then it would be, it would be him, without a shadow of a doubt. This is something about, not that I don't, I'm not, don't love, and you know, the other characters and stories that I've written but there's something about this one i think this is one sort of closer to this one is the most that to me there's more of me in this story and and um but i i you know it's not i I hope it's not over yet i know i want to do another one i know israel's quite wants to would like to do another one i think and as I say, I've got the idea, but I don't want to get too far into thinking yeah. about it. This would be just just right to have a trilogy of of stories, like you know, three sets of of story to kind of you know round. Don't out. say that because that means that in my you've planted a seed in my head, and I've got to do yeah, that now. It seems right to have that three <laughs> so, kind of you know as, as it's influenced. I know by what you that mean. Kind of I do thing. want. I, I I mean I don't want to. I mean I don't want to place my bets, <laughs> but I'm I think. When when the trade when the full story comes out, it's going to grab people. Really, when it's a full story, beginning, middle, and end, it's a it's a fun book. That's what I wanted. I wanted it to. I wanted it to not just be not just be sort of silly and knock about, have a message and stuff, but it to be fun and sort of like yeah, this is it's kind of silly, but sort of you know, but not 
stupid. So I'm going to kind of say now, kind of if, if people are interested in getting hold of both uh, whatever happened to the archetype and Mega Atomic Battle Rabbit, how what's what's happening with those titles now? How are um, people going to be able to read them? Uh, whatever happened to the archetype, the, that's ready to go to print. And I've not got an, an exact date yet, but I'm guessing that's going to be within the, at the very latest in the next sort of six, seven weeks, something like that. And Megatomy Battle Rabbit will be just, uh, I, gather, I guess, will be about a month or so after that. As I say, there's no dates as such, but it's going to be very, uh, it's going to be soon. I don't know, but as you know, find me on Twitter and I'll be boring people to tears with. <laughs> release dates when it comes out so yeah um i should i would have thought both books would be in stores and, and available online in the next two months so if people keep an eye on your yeah, twitter yeah, yeah. handle which is at stew perrins they'll be able to find out what's going on with with the release of both of those books i recommend everybody gives them a read particularly if you're a british reader thank you uh, there's a lot in there for you to get out of it if you're a british reader just really to round up today obviously because of what's happening in the world at the moment and part of being an independent comic creator is being out there at cons and meeting your audiences yeah. what, what's your thoughts on the impact of the covid19 pandemic and what's happened with cons on that how are you kind of dealing with that yourself how are you still kind of getting your work out there and keeping people uh, interested in what's what's happening uh you know i mean my i mean it's frustrating however my view is that i'm considerably better off than a hell of a lot of people healthy and my family are healthy and those i care about are healthy so as frustrating as it is i'm just using the time positively to sort of reach out to people on twitter and get the get the work out that way and also i'm using my time to sort of work on new stuff and get stuff on so as frustrating as it is because i did have some sort of comic uh some cons booked and stuff like that but it is it is what it is i'm not going to sort of moan and complain about it because i've got my health so you know and people are in a hell of a lot worse position so you know i'm just using the time to sort of productively productive and get this work and get some work out there and get some ideas and all that all that you know those ideas i've had that and I thought if I get time I'll work on this or I'll sort of develop this I've now got that time so you know when we come out of this whenever that may be I will have used my time positively and on comics and spend it with my family and all that stuff so yeah I mean I mean the the, the only the I mean it is just good at the moment it is just reaching out to people on Twitter obviously because I can't keep trying to sell my comics to my wife she she's really not that she's really bored enough of them as it is so um but yeah uh well Stu, it's been wonderful to speak to you again thank you very uh, much it's good to to hear that you're safe and well and that the possibility of more megatomic battle rabbits at some point there's always there's hope, there's always hope you never know yeah so that'd be good so yes so thank you very much and thank you for like having i said me. if you want to see more or hear more from Stu, then pop along to his twitter feed uh, the links will be in the show notes and once again i just want to say thank you very much Stu. cheers mate thank you very much and now uh, back to the main show So it's over to Laura and Lee now for their favourite films of their childhood, which you might not know about as well. This is a really clunky title for a feature, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Classic family films you might not have heard of. Part two. Uh, Right, of course, it's me next then, isn't it? Um, So I was thinking, uh, much like you watching uh, Ryan films that you probably shouldn't have, uh, I... um, did watch a lot of kind of action thriller Arnold Schwarzenegger films. Um, 
So probably not including those because they feel a little bit too obvious. Uh, yeah. One of the very early ones that um, I was slightly obsessed with uh, was Pound Puppies and the Legend of Big Paul, which uh, tells the story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I've had to look this up because although I remember that it was Pound Puppies and the Legend of Big Paul and there was a bone of scone, I remember nothing else about it. Uh, but my mum tells me that I uh, would rent this every time we went to the video store. Uh, and nothing else. I was very upset if somebody else had already got it. Uh, it is the story. Uh, in the Dark Ages, apparently, a young boy named Arthur and his dog Digalot came across a stone that contained both a mythical sword, Excalibur, and the magical bone of stone. Uh, Arthur, obviously... <laughs> dealt with the sword from the stone. Um, Arthur's dog, Digalot, uh, pulled the bone of scone from the same stone um, and (laughs) soon afterwards discovered that Arthur could, uh, that the dog could talk. Uh, And then there's this whole story about the bone of scone is in a museum. I'm trying to remember vague bits from my childhood and the Wikipedia page. Um, it's, and then uh, some baddies try and steal it, and shenanigans happen. And then there's some like legendary character that appears that people don't believe it's there, and they like try and steal some puppies. And there's a lot of dogs. There's a lot of like cartoon dogs. Right. Uh, it got deeply <laughs> panned uh, by the reviews, apparently, uh, except like three or four year old me who loved it. Uh, and and Equally, cannot seem to find it online, so I can't watch it on Amazon Prime or Netflix or any of the other streaming channels, uh, although I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, so that is my first choice. Right, so before uh, we go any one... further, sorry. Pound puppies, you need to explain this concept to people under the ages of probably 20. They were puppies. They lived in a pound. What more do you need to know? They want to be adopted. <laughs> yeah, but it was kind of like, it was off the back of like My Little Pony, wasn't it? Which was basically any cute animals possible got a TV series. Yeah, yeah. Which there was a tie-in with things that you could buy. And yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was like peak capitalism, obviously. Yeah. So it's kind of like I knew all of the toys, but that was about it. Yeah. Um, Didn't but know there I was don't a film. think I ever actually had any of the toys. Hmm. I, thought, I had my little pony. I did not have any pound puppies. Because I thought it was the same as Hush Puppies, which also had a cartoon at that time. But the Hush yeah. Puppies and the Pound Puppies were apparently separately. Wow. I've just, I've just looked up the Wikipedia page for this. And the yeah. thing that struck me mostly, because you were saying about Arnold Schwarzenegger, the crazy, the crazy idea that this film was actually co-produced by... Coral Co, which was the which was the company that had previously co-produced the Terminator, both the first, I think the first two Terminator films, um, and stuff. Really, I think that that must it must have had something to do with James Cameron and um, Gail and Heard, um, Coral Co, because I remember that I remember that graphic, which is quite funny, um, and yeah, just a, a huge yeah. List. They produced um, Total Recall and Basic Instinct as well. Yeah, apparently, Mario Kazar. That's who. That's who was behind it. Apparently, it was yeah. a Tonka toy st- toy line as well. Really? Yeah. 
Do you remember Tonkin? And, and they're still going, yeah. according to this listing. But you could still go out and buy a pound puppy now. Don't give me ideas. I've got a lot of time. <laughs> are you going to go and get your own bone of scone, are you doing? Yeah, I could, like, craft one out of rocks. I don't know. <laughs> and what was your other classic movie from your childhood? Uh, so there was another film that we used to watch quite a lot uh, when we go over to Ireland and visit my cousin, uh, which was Now and Then, which uh, has got quite a lot of stars in it. So, uh, and I, it was released in 1995. So uh, Christina Ricci, Thora Birch, Gabby Hoffman, Demi Moore, Rita Wilson, Brendan Fraser, Rosie O'Donnell, Menny Griffin. Um, it's the story of four young girls uh, back. Uh, in their childhood uh, and they meet again as one of them is about to give birth uh, and look back on this kind of coming of age style summer where uh, they discover um, the origins of a kind of local legend where there's like a creepy old man uh, and apparently he like killed his kid or something but that turns out to not be the case and then uh, there's a group of boys who they all hate but they secretly love and they like steal their clothes when they go skinny dipping and then rule cause havoc um, and drink a lot of hope floats um, one of them nearly like drowns uh, and it's a very kind of female focused um, story about like a good kind of yeah kind of teenagers or just becoming teenagers um, and it has a really good playlist but considering all those stars, again, you can't watch it on anything. It's it's Bizarre. weird, isn't it? That there's like there's this big gap in like eighties hmm. and nineties movies which you can't get anywhere. I think yeah. that's mostly down to the fact that they're pretty dreadful and not really worth watching again. You're gonna say because now, 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 now then sounds like pretty much a more female-led version of the Sandlot. Which was another big popular film when I was a kid, which was a coming of age teen drama from the States. There seems to be yeah, a lot it's... of coming of age teen dramas. Well, it's a whole kind of literary theory, so it stands to reason. Mm. But uh, no, uh, that was another one that we watched loads, and my cousin remembers us watching loads of it, and so like, occasionally it's one of those things that we're like, oh, I remember that show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some some great some great songs in it. Did you try to make your own coke floats? Uh, no, because the idea still doesn't appeal to me. <laughs> I could just imagine you like some walls soft scoop and some panda pops, just like trying to do it as kids. Yeah, no, I'm definitely one of these people that's like, what? Why? <laughs> Why would you put ice cream yeah. into a beverage? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this, this just doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, oh, so yeah, uh, an eventful small town summer in 1970. Uh, so yeah, some really good songs. Um, trying to find some of them, otherwise you're gonna get me singing along. No one needs that. Uh, remember that one. Uh, I'll be there by the Jackson Five. Um, Daydream Believer by the Monkeys. Uh, Band of Gold. So some really kind of classic songs, some really good sort of sing-along songs. Mm, cool. Definitely worth a watch then, Rennie. I still think it's a step up from Suburban Commando, though. 
Def- definitely yeah. going in a, in a more upwards yeah, direction to in quality. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I should have picked something a bit weirder, shouldn't I? Um, I did watch Camp Nowhere quite a lot as well. That was pretty good. Uh, there's a bunch of um, teenagers or like 12-year-olds who uh, create their own summer camp, lie to their parents and tell them it's whatever camp their parents want them to go to. So like one girl goes to a like fitness weight loss camp and another one it's a computer camp and the other it's a musical, but it's all this one camp uh, that they've managed to, yeah, uh, hoodwink their parents into paying for and they just have loads of fun and shenanigans and then their parents want to come on like parents weekend so they have to pretend it is all of these four or five different types of camp uh, so that was nonsense that was a good one uh, I sounds think like that was probably out at the same time say, that sounds like it should be a Disney movie uh, I'm going to look at yeah 1994 uh uh, Christopher Lloyd, yeah, Christopher Lloyd pay, plays the the grown up. So you can see how well that went. Oh, Jessica Alba was in it, apparently. Yeah, you can see Christopher Lloyd well, drove his fame into the ground after the Back to the Future movies, can't we? <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Well, he did do he did do Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's done a couple. Of, he's done some good quality stuff. Mm. Yeah, over the years, mm-hmm. he's 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 not he's not you know he's he's done all right he's done all right. But I just I'm more shocked at the idea that this is like ten years after I was sixteen as well. It's like <laughs> the the choices of films that I had were bizarre like foreign language spaghetti westerns or nothing <laughs> or, or Star that Wars. darn cat. <laughs> Basically, every every movie that came out was either a Disney movie or some kind of bizarre European dubbed thing. Up until about 1976, <laughs> we started to get Hollywood films properly. Yeah, no, all of mine are yeah either kind of mid 90s coming of age stories. Uh, did watch a lot of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, uh, nice. which yeah my sister was obsessed with. It's a very problematic musical. <laughs> doesn't doesn't live up to modern standards, <laughs> does it? I don't think there's anything wrong with two parents locking their sons and daughters in a house until they get it on. That's fine. No, no, it's not. It's, it's the older brother, it's the oldest brother who uh, gets a wife, um, doesn't inform her that he lives with all of his brothers, uh, and then she kind of makes them have a wash and then takes them to the local barn dance where they then kidnap six women uh, and then they're like passed to their farm um, there is an avalanche so they're snowed in for winter uh, and then eventually they all fall in love uh, and there's lots of dancing and singing because it's a musical so of course uh, but yeah the kidnapping of women that's just a lull and don't they all end up having babies at the end as well isn't there like a whole thing oh, no, they have one baby and then they, they all baby. of them and it's theirs because they have now fallen in love with all of these men and want to stay. Yeah. This yeah. sounds like it should be an American reality TV show. Oh, it's a it? tale as old as time. Yeah. You can imagine this <laughs> yeah. being on like TNT Network or something like that in the States. I mean, I think mm. somebody could suggest it to the makers of Love Island as like a new way of uh, of doing like questioning <laughs> up the show. 
Love Avalanche. It'd be, it'd just be seven rides for seven brothers on ITV4. Oh. <laughs> Don't give them ideas, Ryan. <laughs> That's still too high, Brad, for them. Yeah, so those... That would be a Channel the... 5, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those are the films that kind of I watched a lot of as a kid. Yeah, The Running Man as well. Uh, again, probably not something I should have been watching as a kid, but hey. I mean, Exploding uh, so Heads yeah. is great family entertainment. Well, yeah. I mean, it explains <laughs> my obsession with Theme Hospital, really, doesn't it? <laughs> it's the Pound Puppies. Look. In their first animated movie. I love Pound Puppies. <laughs> And they've got puppy power. How do I get puppy power? This old bone is the bone of scone. Puppy power! Without the bone of scone, we wouldn't be able to talk with all of you. You're kidding me. That's how they got it? That's right. Hmm? Now you'll be mine! Rush! So, yeah, those are mine. Lee, your, your films? Okay, so this was quite difficult for me just because a lot of the stuff I remember watching from the early 90s was like stuff that's really well known so a lot of a lot of the disney stuff i watched a lot of cartoons during that era so i was probably watching a lot more tv with like a lot of the classic disney and warner brothers cartoons and all that sort of stuff from that era um and because i was like reading a lot of like roll Dahl and goosebumps i ended up watching like the films and the show off the back of that so obviously but obviously these are all things that everyone is kind of aware of um, and I was even trying to think of like, okay, was there anything on like some satellite channel that I, I stumbled on at some point and like ended up with like a lot of things that were kind of obscure at the time, but have since become big cult classics. Things like Mystery Science Theater and um, I, I thought he was going for the like room. when. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's much more recent, right? Favorite childhood family movie, um, The Room. <laughs> but even then, like some of the some of the bad films I remember were like the video game movies that are just again massively well known for how bad they are. Things like Super Mario Brothers and Street Fighter and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I was even trying to like go through things of like forgotten movies from the nineties that you probably watched a lot of and even then it was like a lot of it I genuinely hadn't seen um, and even then I was thinking well there was like because I was watching a lot of cartoons my mom's co-worker gave her like a VHS with a bunch of animations on there and I'm like that did capture my attention but then the big thing on that did become bigger over the years because it was Castle in the Sky from Ghibli which again at the time was obscure. Um, I can't remember the other two things that were on there because I know there was like some stop motion Red Riding Hood thing that was probably Eastern European, I think. But I don't remember much else about it. Um, but yeah, I was sort of really struggling with this. And like, there was all this sort of terrible 90s kids movie, like the comedy things from the time so-called comedies, things like, like the Ernest movies and Problem Child and that sort of thing was coming up and I was like, there's still nothing that I feel is like super obscure or lesser known, so I was really struggling with this, but that's kind of the journey I went on through all of this, but I was going to say, the Problem you know, Child movies 
aren't probably that well known nowadays because mm. they were a massive thing yeah. in the mid nineties. There was like three of them, I think, mm. and they were like huge, huge movies. And it was a I've only star. yeah, I've only seen like the two of them, um, but uh, I think those were like kind of the ones I was leading towards, just because I do remember watching a lot of them. Yeah. Um, even just sort of while going through all this, like I saw mention of Problem Child, and I looked up some of the clips, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that weird rock with the heart on it that crushed crushed a bride or something I don't know, it was one of those weird the horror only, comedies almost, even though it's not really a horror the only thing I can remember <laughs> is the dog had very big poos and that is my one takeaway from the Problem Child movies there was a dog that had very big poos <laughs> and it was kind of that 90s gross out humour yeah so yeah, I was super into like Problem Child one and two. Even though looking back at it now, they were both just terrible, terrible movies. Um, and I only found out while looking this up was like Amy Yazbek played like the the problematic wife in the first movie, but then played the nice librarian girlfriend in the second movie. And I was like, hang on, it was the same actress <laughs> <laughs> playing two different women. <laughs> Two different films, just so that they could have Amy Yazbek and John Ritter as a couple in both movies. <laughs> and it's it's just yeah. they were they were weird looking back at them, and, and you've got Gil- Gilbert Gottfried as like a, an orphanage manager or whatever. Just it is for his voice. <laughs> yeah, I think I only ever saw the first one. Mm-hmm. I don't think I saw anything after that. Just because John Ritter was in it. Mm-hmm. I think that was the only thing that made me want to watch yeah. it. Okay, you want a little baby. Well, old babies are little. It's no problem there. Just this morning, I came upon a seven-year-old. A smartest attack. A little rambunctious. But weren't we all at that age? <laughs> oh, he does look very presentable in that little bow tie. He's evil. That's a wicked mind. Look what he did in art class. Skeletons. Headless corpses. No, 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 don't. Please, please, don't hyperventilate. Either Junior goes or you find yourself some new nuns. Hey, we must have gotten the pick of the litter. Look, everyone's come out to see him off. I would like to proudly present the newest member of the Healy family, Junior. But you mentioned yeah. Roald Dahl, and I remember a film that has popped mm. into my head and scarred me as a child, which also has dogs droppings in it quite a lot, which was The Witches, which is a... Is a I was thinking if you were going to bring up The Witches. Yeah, because yeah. that was a dark, dark yeah. movie for kids, that was. I mean, there's a whole yeah. thing where the kid gets turned into... Some a of the house. transformations in that movie were, yeah, yeah. The horrifying scenes, like proper body horror. This could go because it's. So. I think it's Henson, Jim Henson Productions that were doing all the um, puppetry and stop motion stuff in that. It felt more that sounds about right. Yeah. Say it felt more yeah, it was Cronenberg. great. Oh yeah. <laughs> still, that... still wildly popular. It's on all the time. It's on. All, you know, mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. still mm-hmm. kind of put out on the TV a lot. I mean, to be fair, when you kind of look back at Roald Dahl's work, it is kind of a lot darker than you'd think it would be just because there's so many things of like people being turned into things and people being punished for things and it's like okay are you okay Roald Dahl? <laughs> I'd probably say The Witches yeah. is probably the closest to a Roald Dahl movie mm. mm-hmm. all that and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory yeah. or was it Charlie mm. which is which yeah. is the terrible one which is the Tim Burton one that's a Willy Wonka one isn't it? Yeah, Willy Wonka one. is the one with Gene Wilder and then 
Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the Tim Burton one. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the Johnny Depp one. Yeah. But I, I sit yeah. on the wrong side of the fence on that because I do like the Tim Burton version because it's more true to the book and Danny Elfman's music that he uses in there uses a lot of the lyrics that were in the original book as well for the songs. So I kind of mm. like it. That is true, but I find that as an experience, like the Willy Wonka is just better. Yeah. Especially with Gene Wilder's performance think, as well. I think that's just his that's performance. That's just how I feel Everything with it. Everything else in that film is diabolical. Yeah. It's just been made so cheaply. It's like, here we are in the most magical place yeah. on Earth. And it's like, that's just a factory in Prague. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't yeah. it mostly filmed in sure. Germany and East Europe? It's like, yeah, I think, I, think it was, I think it was one of the... One, I think it was you know, like some brewery in Prague that they just yeah. doubled up. It's like, yeah, not so keen. That actually would check out, yeah, looking at it, looking back at it, yeah. So, yeah. But I think Gene Wilder is still my childhood, Willy Wonka, definitely. Yeah. I mean, World of Pure Imagine is one of the greatest songs ever, in my opinion. Ruined, ruined by that flipping Family Guy episode. Not seen it, not going to see it. No. Terrible. Is that when he worked nah. for the brewery? I, nah. I, I don't know. I, I I don't watch a lot of Family Guy. Probably you've seen two episodes in my entire history. Probably one of which had something to do with Star Wars. And um, people I knew mm. just song, sang it all the time. And it was like, what? It, yeah. It's one of those it's songs terrible. that pops up in adverts and it's like, no, why are you using this song? Stop. Stop now. Yeah. Stop. Also, as well, Jackass. As well, for some reason, I think of Willy Wonka, and I think I, I think of Jackass <laughs> uh, for some unknown reason. Totally, um, not unrelated. even Black Two, yeah, which which you could tell was supposed to be Johnny Knoxville's <laughs> comedy vehicle, which failed miserably. Yeah, that's a popular film which you shouldn't uh, watch. Men in Black Two, just just to stop yeah. at the first Men in yeah. Black. That is enough. That is fine. The third one's pretty solid. The first one surprisingly holds up. Will Smith. The first one Tommy does. Jones. The first one does because it features the greatest mm-hmm. quote in the history of cinema. What's that? I think I know the quote it's you the, mean. Uh, a person is smart, yes. but people are dumb, stupid animals. You know that's... Yeah, and there's a whole piece. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. It's uh, Ed Solomon who did uh, Bill and Ted was yeah. the script on that, and it's it's was one of the. You just think in the middle of this crazy alien film comes one of the most existential and profound moments of cinema and, and the words that Tommy Lee Jones says to Will Smith. Yeah. It's incredible. Sticks with me right now. I, I think that's actually a riff mm-hmm. off um, Rufus from uh, Bill and Ted himself, Mr. George Carlin. I think it was part of his stand-up show yeah. and it was like adapted to that. I imagine, I imagine if, if Ed mm. Solomon had anything to do with it, I imagine he spoke to George quite a lot when they were making Bill and Ted's time. Which is one of the sad things about the fact mm-hmm. when Bill and Ted Face the Music comes out, I hope somehow that they uh, they do something to honour the memory of George Carlin yeah. in a way that would be quite good, that would be quite yeah. nice somehow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, problem child. <laughs> to recap your film mm-hmm. courses then, Laura? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pound Puppies and The Legend of Big Paul. Now and then, and Camp Nowhere, uh, and a, oh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and a special mention of the Running Man. And Lee? Let's go with Problem Child 1 and 2. <laughs> there we go. 
thank you for joining us on this week's show. I hope we found some movies for your enjoyment that you might be able to find in some dark corner of the internet. And big thanks to Stu Perrins as well for his speaking to Keith about his amazing projects. Uh, thank you for joining me, Laura. You're welcome. Where can we find you online? On Twitter as Laura Craven. That's uh, Craven spelled C-R-E-A-V-E-N. And that'll link to uh, my food blog, uh, my hyperlocal Sturchley newsletter, uh, lots of photos of my cat, and um, random TikToks that I choose to share. Lee, where can we find you online? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where as of the time this goes up, there should be a new episode of Losing the Plot, where I take a look at the world building in my Game of the Year last year, Control, um, and also recently put up a Ferret's First on Batman Arkham Knight. I have to keep checking which Arkham game it is, (laughs) but it's definitely Arkham Knight. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret, and you can find me on there as the Cheap Ferret as well for sort of my general ramblings as well and yeah that's where you can find me online and keith where can we find your creative talents online i think all those sites got taken down quite a few years ago um but <laughs> modern me is it a subscription service <laughs> now keith <laughs> only fans yeah, I, don't think, I think i have to give people, have to give people money. um you can find me on twitter at hardlook underscore hotel for loads of retweets and the occasional um, less than profound ramblings Um, but I do suggest at the moment you check me out on Wednesdays on the Geeky Brummy Twitter feed uh, where I've been taking up Matthew Rosenberg's uh, new to you comic book day um, hashtag to kind of highlight some books that perhaps may have passed you by uh, in days gone by that it might be worth checking out so a few particularly good ones on the website and then throughout the day on a Wednesday I'm going to try and um, pick a few others that uh, people might want to kind of look for while they've got time to read extra stuff and you can find me slowly turning into an elephant seal in the corner of my living room but otherwise online on Twitter at Ryan Paris <laughs> for the foodie stuff at Brummigal Mond even though MasterChef has now finished but Breaking news, we actually got a line on MasterChef Bingo. This is like the first time in five years where we completed a full line, so I was very happy. Cool. Savory Ice Cream was the winner for that one. But otherwise, you can find us all at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find our sister account, Geeky Goings On, on Twitter at Geeky Goings On, which tells you about what's possibly going to be rescheduled and coming up in your geeky spheres of influence coming up in the future. Uh, don't forget to check out the Geeky Brummy website where you can find Keith's Comic Roundup every Wednesday and leave gaming update every friday and pretty much i'm assuming you find that found the podcast because you are listening to this but if you'd like to click like subscribe give us a review <laughs> always helpful but for now goodbye everybody thank you for listening bye bye, bye. bye.